All right, grab your Bibles, head over to Genesis chapter 1 <clears throat> again today. Now, in the previous two weeks, we have seen God create out of nothing. Uh, we've seen him create planets and stars beyond our ability to even count. We have seen him create this big blue planet we call Earth, and, and God has given it um, sunsets over tropical oceans, right? He has formed it with majestic snow-peaked mountains and far-stretching prairies for people that find that more interesting. Uh, and so many beautiful things that God has created on this planet. And, and then God created trees and plants that flower and produce fruit and provide food for whatever he's going to put on the planet. And, and then we looked on as Elohim, as God filled the skies with eagles and woodpeckers and all manner of birds and filled the sea with tuna and flounders and weird other fish, right? All the crazy jellyfish, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and already on day six, right? Day six, we made it partway through, or at least part of what he did on that day, uh, when God filled the earth with wondrous animals of all sorts of variety. And today, today we look on as God brings his magnificent work of creation to its absolute pinnacle, to the creation of humans, you and me, right, who are more precious to the Lord God Almighty than all of these stars, than all of these animals, and we know that. We know that because God tells us that in his word, and we know that because Jesus absolutely proves that. Now let me tell you right from the start, <clears throat> I did run into a problem this week uh, that either the sermon was going to be like well over an hour, or it was going to uh, be so incredibly surface level that uh, you, you couldn't go any further than that, and so I decided to actually split it. In fact, uh, uh, Avery over here was asking me this morning, how are you going to do this in less than, that's my invitation of you, uh, in less than an hour? And I was like, I can't, it's going to be an hour. He's like, oh, okay, he just kept going. But um, anyway, it's going to be over an hour, but we're going to do it over two weeks, okay? We're going to treat this like one passage. We're going to focus mostly on the beginning, wide-angle stuff this week, and go into a little more detail in the second half more next week. So that's, that's how this is going to go. So if there's something you're like, he didn't even mention that, that's why. Um, so let's, let's read. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. <clears throat> and God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. It was very good. And there was, ever, there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonder it is to be made in your image. Help us this morning to better understand that as, as we consider ourselves, as we also learn to see others rightly as, as image bearers. And so, please, once again, enlighten our minds to believe your word. 
May it inform our minds and transform our hearts and direct our steps, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we live in a college town. College students know one of the first questions you're asked is, what is your major? That's what they get asked by adults over and over again. Any of you have been in that position, you know it. Now, I, uh, back in college, uh, had probably not the most practical of degrees. It was a degree in philosophy that I came out with at an agricultural school, which I don't think makes it better. No offense if that's what you're doing here, too. Uh, so anyway, I, I spent a great deal of time exploring the lives of brilliant uh, men and, and women, the ideas that they had, but who were overwhelmingly, in the collection of the people we learned from, overwhelmingly absolutely blind to the truth of the gospel. Now, one of the more depressing guys that we read was this guy, Jean-Paul Sartre. Now, here's how he explains his worldview in his own words. This is a quote. Atheistic existentialism, of which I am a representative, declares with greater consistency that if God does not exist, we must face the consequences of this. We are not made for a purpose, like a paper knife, and that, therefore, logically speaking, there is no good. Nowhere is it written that human beings must be honest, must not lie, because we are now on a plane where there are only human beings and not God. As Dostoevsky said, if there is not God, everything is permitted. And Sartre was also a, a nihilist. That's this belief that life has no meaning, no, no purpose. And he spent uh, the rest of his days, all 74 years of his life, trying to make sense out of that, trying to create for himself individually some sense of purpose in this life at all. He failed at doing that. Well, that's all I got. Y'all enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day. I'm just kidding. Can you imagine those stopping there? Like that being the end of your thought right there? You see, in, in absolute <clears throat> contrast to what I just read with Sartre there, what we read in our passage today reminds us that each of us, that, that each of us, that our lives have purpose, that they have significance. And, and we don't have to create that. We don't have to conjure it up by some idea because God created us with that purpose. You see, you and I are created in the image of God, and you and I are called to reflect God's glory in this beautiful world. So let's look at the passage. What do we see here? Verse 26, right at the bat, right? <clears throat> and then God said, let us make, well, hold up. <clears throat> I know we touched on already, right? But, but who was us here? Some have suggested maybe he's talking with the angels, which sounds good at first until you realize we're not made in the image of angels. Uh, I, I talked about it again, you know, two weeks ago, but what we see here is that, that for Moses here is, is a great mystery, the mystery of the plurality of God. There, there's clearly something there in the language, and yet Moses wouldn't have really picked up on it, noticed it, explained it in any way. This, this aspect of God, that's not only, uh, it's not until much later that God actually reveals himself more further, right, progressive revelation, that, that God is, is God, that God is one God in three persons, what, what we call the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see this unity, and yet there is distinction between the Godhead. And, and so what happens next? What, what's God actually say? What's the rest of that? He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, you've seen the, the sermon title. It's in your bulletin, Imago Dei. Um, that is, uh, my, my daughter asked me, what is, is that? What was the question? Is that Hebrew or Greek or Italian? you know, the other biblical language. I know some Italians that probably believe that. Um, 
it, it's just a Latin word. That, that's what it is. It's a Latin phrase. It's from the word meaning image and from the word meaning of God. The image of God is what's going there. And the only reason I use the term is that if you ever were to study this, go deeper into it theologically, this is the most common phrase that it's known as. Uh, this, this biblical doctrine that, that you and I, that, that man and, you know, kind is made in the image of God. We, 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 and so we are made in the image of God and, and we are made in the likeness of God. The image of God and the likeness of God, those two terms are actually interchangeable. And we know that because God uses these, right? We're working through Moses writing the scripture. He uses them interchangeably in chapters ahead. Uh, if you've got your Bible open, you can flip over real quick. Genesis 5.1. We read, um, right, it's one of the, the generations, the first ones we see. But uh, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And, and then in Genesis 9, 6, if you just want to keep flipping, if you can do it that fast, if you're one of those old Bible drill hooks. Um, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by, the, by man shall his blood be shed. And here's where you see it. For God made man in his own image. You get these words. They're, they're interchangeable. We see this. Now, uh, both of these terms signify that we are in some way similar to God. Right? That's the basic idea here. Not, not entirely, right? but kind of like when you make an, an avatar, right? an online profile, uh, a memoji, one, one of those things. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not you. It's not human. But in some way, it's, it's similar to you. And if we were to tell you that, right, or a photograph, an actual image, and in one way, it's, it's, it's similar to you. And if you're asked, like, well, in what way is that similar? And, and, and we'll get into that in a bit. Now, the, the, the first implication of this, though, is, is this, that us being made in the image of God tells us that on the one hand, it, it means that, that you and I, we are definitely not God. Okay, not God. You, you are created, you are dependent, you are finite, and so on. And on the other hand, what this tells us is that you and I, we are not, we are not animals. You know, it seems simple enough, right? God, God makes this distinction, and, and we'll get into it more, what that means next week, but uh, you know, that we are, we are given this dominion over the animals and the birds and so on. Now, now, experientially, you already know this, right? That we have this dominion over animals, right? Your, your dog doesn't make you sit down before you get to have dinner at night. We're... We're not even super-evolved, intelligent animals, right? We, we are uniquely the creation of God. So Psalm 8.5 says, as humans, that we have been crowned with glory and honor. It doesn't say that of the animals anywhere. And again, it might sound like a little thing, but it's quite significant. It, it would do wonders for our culture and for the culture of the world if every man, woman, and child uh, simply knew these two simple facts, that, that we are not just the most clever animals on the planet, right? We, you know, and, and the other part, that we are not God. And, and that second bit means that you and I, we do not have the right to autonomous, to live autonomously. Re reality doesn't center around us. We don't get to change reality however we want to make it fit. Your, you know, your, you know your, your fulfillment is not the center of the universe. You are not God. Depending upon how deeply that is, in your heart, that can be a hard thing to hear. I mean, I know I'm not God, but really I get to function like I'm still the ruler, right? Uh, and you're not, you're not. Now, now, that simple reality is lost on so many in our day who, who in rebellion to God, wish to recreate what God has created, to, to reimagine reality. I know that makes some of you angry. It, it ought to make you sad, not, not angry so much, right? Now, there are two ways here of understanding 
what God actually means when he says you, you are created in the image of God. And when I say two ways, they're not up against each other. These aren't, you know, one against the other. One builds on the other, you know. Uh, you know but we want to know this question, what is God actually communicating when he says that we're made in his image? Right? The, the first way, which I, I touched on with the animal distinction, is what's called the structural view. Uh, structural in the sense of... Uh, how we are different than animals and how we are created, how we are made. Na- na- namely that, that you have a soul. You, you will live forever. There's this eternal, invisible aspect of you. And nowhere in Scripture do we see that to be true of animals. Now, as, as John Donne, the 17th century theologian, wrote, the, the difference between the reason of man and the instinct of the beast is this. The beast does but know, but the man knows that he knows. We have a cat. He does cat things. Um, he destroys our upholstery if we let him in the house. He likes to kill mice and birds. He, he likes to rub his head on everything from time to time. Um, but Mr. Nubbers does not contemplate his existence or death or eternity or any of those deeper questions. But you do, right? In, in the quiet moments when you forgot your phone or your battery goes dead and you have nothing to do, you sit in silence, and those thoughts start to come. What's going on in this world? Who am I? What happens when I die, right? Now, after the death of a, a friend or someone close to you, you, you contemplate your existence. What, what comes next? Where are they? What's going on here? Now, as King Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes 3.11, right? God has put eternity into man's heart. We think about that. We're weirdly aware of it. And again, Mr. Nubbers is not thinking about eternity ever, even when his phone battery dies. Now, the other aspects of the structural view are, are that we have personality, personality. My, my oldest brother has this big saccata tortoise, or he had it. It was this huge tortoise, and he used to tell me, it, you know, his name was Franklin. Franklin has personality. I'd always tell him, okay. It just seemed better than having the argument, if I'm honest, um, Sure, I mean, and, and we know this. We look at our pets and we all want to attribute this personality to them. They do funny things. There's, there's particulars about your dog that's different from my dog and so on. And, and yet that doesn't make them a person. It doesn't give them personality, petality, dogality maybe, but no personality here. I mean, anyway, the, the structural view includes things unique to our humanity like intelligence, that we are rational most of the time, our, our ability to create from the building blocks that God has provided, our, our appreciation for art and music, for beauty. Uh, you know, our, our sense of ethically, ethnically, or ethically right and wrong. Even our capacity to worship God who created us. Right? These are all part of what we call the structural view of, of what does it mean to be made in the image of God. And, and, and all those, right, uh, they certainly make sense. We, we see aspects of that throughout the scripture. Those distinctions aren't wrong. But if, but if we look at the the image of God passages where it speaks about it in, in God's word. We don't see those distinctions listed. It's not like you're the image of God, which means you're rational and reasonable and all those kind of things. And in fact, God in his word doesn't seem too interested at all in describing what the image of God actually is. You're like, well, why not? Well, because instead God describes how we ought to live because of it, right? Like I can't explain really what a severe peanut allergy is. Like if you had to get down the deep, I don't, something Something goes wrong. I know that much, right? But I, I can't really explain it to you. But I do know this. If you have one, here's what it means to have this severe allergy, right? You are not to eat peanuts. 
Right? That's, that's what it means on that level. And it's a little explained this way, right? So, so the second view of the image of God is, is, is called the functional view. What, how does it function? What roles? What responsibilities does, does you and I being made in the image of God bestow upon us? And we'll see that a, a bit more next week or when we get into this, right? Uh, what they are. But today we're, we're just going to explain this or explore this a little more from the, the wider angle first. Now, because uh, some of you have probably already considered this, right? That where this passage comes in the scripture, it's pretty early, Genesis 1. Uh, it comes before the fall. It comes before sin enters the world, right? And, and, and so, you know, it, it, it raises that question. Are, are you and I, because we live after the fall, because we are born with a sinful nature, right? Are, are you and I still the image of God? Or is that, like, you know, is that train passed already? Now, now the simple answer is this, is, Yes. Yes, you are still in the image of God. Now, remember when, when I read Genesis 6-9 just a little bit about uh, to you all a little earlier? That's, that's after the fall. That's actually after the flood, right? If you remember, God is saying that death is going to be the punishment for those who murder. And he's giving this reason. Here's why. Uh, for God made man in his own image. And, and if that's not enough, it certainly is, but if that's not enough, we, we saw in James 3-9 that this past spring with, uh, you know, with our uh, that with our tongues we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people, listen to this, who are made in the likeness of God. And so here we are at the time of James, right? Still acknowledging that we are made in the image of God. So yes, we are, but, but that doesn't mean we're unaffected by it. Sin has certainly uh, affected us. In some ways, we are a distorted image of God, a fractured image of God. The, the, the phone in your pocket is actually pretty helpful for an illustration of this. If you've ever dropped it or, you know, someone through it or whatever it might have caused it, right? Have you ever seen one where they crack and they shatter and there's all these different ways that it might happen, but your screen gets broken and you, you look at it, it's still a phone, right? You can still see the image on there. You can still, still see your memes. You can see the text that people are sending you, but, but the screen isn't what it was before. It's just not quite right. Something's not there, even if it still is. Now, the, the sin that we are born with and the sin that we are born into, it, it, it makes us a little just not quite right. Um, Romans 8, 7 points out the, the depravity of our distorted image of God when Paul writes this. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. There's this very different thing that's happening. And so, yes, we are still the image of God, but it's a, a broken, distorted image. And nevertheless, as, as Ken Hughes so optimistically says, he says, The image of God that we all bear is wondrous, and it holds eternal potential. Right? You are the image of God, and I say it's distorted, and I know that can be disturbing a little bit, right? But, but it's not gone. It's still wonderful. It's still amazing, right? So, so, so all that being said, we, we don't just live after the fall, you, you and I. We also live after the cross. We also live after the resurrection of Jesus. And, and we see in the New Testament, there's actually this significant shift in the way that Scripture talks about the image of God. Um, what, what I mean is the, the the focus shifts to, to Jesus. It looks to Jesus and it points to Jesus and says, look, that's, that's the perfect image of God. That, that's who he is, right? Colossians 1.15, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Je Jesus is the physical representative, representative of God. Not, not what God looks like physically. Don't, don't hear that because, right, God is a, a spirit and does not have a body like man, but rather who God is, all, all his perfections, his, his holiness, his love for, for the Trinity. You know, J Jesus is the true and the perfect image of God. 
But what about us and our, our distorted imaging of, of, of God here, right? Our, our cracked screen existence, if you will. Can, can the image of God in us be restored and improved, changed any way? It, it certainly can. That, that's part of the gospel, right? The, the good news of, of Jesus is that there is hope, not, not just for the forgiveness of sin, which is absolutely true, but also for the restoration of our humanity fully, right? The, the grace of God is working in us to restore that. We read about this in Colossians 3.10. We, we put off the old self, and, and listen to this, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Christian, you are being renewed. And all your, your struggles, your difficulties, you are being renewed. You, you are being made more like God. You're, you're becoming more Christ-like in, in how you actually think and behave and, and the things that you find joy in. The, the theological term for this is, is sanctification, right? That we're becoming more holy, more, more like Christ, more conformed to the image of Christ, who is the perfect image of God. I mean, that's the point of Romans 8.29, right? Everyone... You, you, you know that, right? You, you reform folks, Calvinists, everyone gets you know, hung up or excited about the foreknowledge and the predestination part that, that I think most of you probably miss what comes right after that. Do you even know what comes after that from memory, right? L listen to the whole verse, right? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And that's where you just stop and make your argument, right? But listen again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, who is the perfect image of God the Father. When you believe, when you receive faith in Jesus, along with the cleansing of all of sin's guilt, this gift of God works to destroy the power of sin in your life, and the image of God more and more begins being restored, renewed in your life. And, and that happens at, at different speeds uh, along the way. Sometimes in your life it's going to feel very slow. Sometimes you're going to see big jumps. Sometimes it's going to feel like you've actually took three steps back. In those moments there's conviction and often you know, really big steps forward. That's the way sanctification seems to work. Now, now we see this restoration of God's image in, in how we reflect, not perfectly, but, but truly reflect who God is. His love, His patience, His kindness. Like, like Jesus, we move towards obedience to the Father and, 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 and His Word. The, the information, or this information, makes me hopeful because I want to be more like Jesus. Most of the time, and deep down all the time, I, I want to be more like my Savior. I, I want to better reflect the image of God. And, and so then, that kind of lays out a, a little bit of the image of God. I, I want to finish up today by giving you two implications of the parts that we've looked at so far, right? The, uh, the Imago Dei, the image of God, right? What, is it, what does it teach us from this passage? And the, the first one is, is in regard to the plurality of man. And I know it's not a phrase you're used to, so let me explain that. Uh, you, you see that. You've got your Bibles open. Look to verse 27. This is the first poetry that shows up in Scripture. If you're into poetry, there it is. Um, it says this. Three lines is the way it's typically written in your, your Bibles. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now the word man in the first line, this, this is man in the general sense. Right? The, the way we used to be able to use it and can't really anymore, as in mankind, as in human race, the, that idea. It's, it's from the Hebrew word Adam, which is super confusing because Adam gets named Adam after this word right here. It's kind of like when 
kids named like their lizard lizardy, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so it gets a little confusing, but it, it's important to know this, right? In the third line, right, when God specifies the, the, that mankind is plural, right? right? And, and when I say plural, by which I mean we, we come in these two versions. Uh, if you remember, God did not mention the, the, the sexual distinction of any of the animals. And, and so our distinction of male and female here is significant. And, and we'll flush that out in, in more chapter two. But, but we see these, these two ways, right? And... Um, the, the way it's worded, right, the, the male and female are two different words there in the Hebrew, and they're different from the first word, Adam. And so you're getting one primary word and two, two words that show the division that happens here. So, um, and so here, I just want you to see today, again, we'll get into it more later, I want you to see that there are two and only two distinct ways to be human, male and female. And, and that's what we're seeing here. It's, it's crystal clear. And, and here's what I really want you to see today. Male and female are equally the image of God. That, that's what we see here. Which, which for the ancient world that this is first written into, and, and sadly for some today, that is quite a revolutionary declaration that God makes. Male and female are equally the image of God. And are men and women different? Certainly we are. But, but neither is more or less human. Neither is more or less the image of God. Neither is more or less precious in the sight and valuable to the Lord. And, and that leads us to a, a broader implication of the Imago Dei. Most of us are, are, are interested in our, our family history. Um, <clears throat> my family history goes back to Moses. I know this because I looked it up. Uh, we have this, this book that I was in in high school, and it's our family tree. And you go, and I opened it up in high school. I went all the way back right to Moses. Um, Huff was his last name, Moses Huff. Uh, Looked into it more. It turns out it's not that Moses, but still, it does go back to Moses Huff. Uh, now, uh, along those same lines, my, my, one of my older brothers did that, that DNA thing. You send in your, your DNA, and they tell you all this stuff about your history thing. Uh, and that confirmed two things that we, we are honestly already suspected. And the first is that uh, none of us are serial killers that have DNA on record. Uh, the second thing is that we are 99% from the British Isles, and I think that's England, Scotland, Ireland. Does Wales count as a nation? Sorry, Wales. Uh, anyway, whatever else is there. So, right, so that's kind of our, our background, and we go back, and we're like, oh, so we're Englishy. Um, now, Laura, her family is, is Polish. She is very, at least 50% Polish. Her dad was 100% Polish, though if you ask Laura, she couldn't even show you on a map where Poland is. Couldn't tell you what the do you even know what the flag looks like? Nothing. Okay, so she's really dug into her history. <clears throat> now, what we learn in, in this passage is that as, as interesting as it is to figure out where our ancestries are from, we all think it's fun, look where I came from and stuff, and, it, and it's good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fun, right? But if we took it back to the very beginning, what we're learning here is that every one of us is related to the first two of mankind, to the historically real Adam and Eve. That, that's where we go back to. Now, now, there are other modern theories, right, that, that view us as evolving from apes or maybe different races evolving at different points in history and all these, all these foolish, ridiculous theories. And I put it that way, right, but, and we should view them that way because they all open the door to, to one person being greater than another person because of their ethnicity or, or something about that. 
You see, it is only as we understand that we are all, we all come from Adam and Eve, that we all have this common descent, only then can, can we honestly say that it doesn't matter where you came from more recently in your family's history. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, what color your hair is. It doesn't matter what your, your first language is, right, or what kind of food your family eats. It, you know, our, our family trees go back to the same two parents, to Adam and Eve, and, and and so we are the same. We are equal in value. We are equal in, in dignity with the same starting point. And in our current era of racial tensions, how important is it that we understand our, our, our common ancestry, our, our shared lineage, our, our both all rather being in the, the image of God? You see, that's the only foundation or solid foundation for believing that all people, regardless of race or ethnicity, have the same nature, the same inherent dignity, the same value, the, the same image of God, and, and the same sin problem, and therefore the same need of Jesus as a Savior. That despite all of our other divisions in this world, it, it does come back to that. And so then, because all people are made in the image of God, and I know I'm saying this over and over again because I need you to get this, right? All people have worth and dignity. This reality forms our views for protecting life, right? The life of the unborn child, the, the life of someone who might be suicidal, the life of someone who seems to be contributing nothing to society, the life of the immigrants and the poor. We, we protect life because all are made in the image of God. All have dignity and value and worth. And, and here's where it hits home. I know we all agree on that. No one's going to be like, no, we don't. Probably not. I hope not, right? But, but, but you and I in our heads, we are quick to strip people who aren't like us of the dignity and valuable value that they have as, as image bearers. Maybe it's someone who has very little education that you consider ignorant. Maybe someone who is in the form, is from a different ethnicity or nation or culture, someone who votes different than you. Someone who is old or young, Muslim or Hindu, right? And there's all these issues. I'm not saying the distinctions don't matter. They, they do. They can be important sometimes. But, but all are made in the image of God. And, and so you must stop treating some people as if they're not. And I'll say, I was doing a little research outside this week. And I think they were high school students on lunch break. We have this cul-de-sac down the hill from our house. That's back there in the backyard and it comes in and this guy just music blaring and he just starts doing donuts around the cul-de-sac throwing stuff everywhere and in my head I'm like you worthless fool like I'm like studying this and realizing you know what just because it's not one of the categories that I you know I'm really mindful not to it doesn't mean we don't do this it's just this way that we we start to tear down someone and view them as somehow less human or less human than us or with less dignity than us just because of something I mean and the beauty of reading this, I'm like, what am I doing? Stop. All right, so as Nancy Piercy says, right, the, the image of God means that every person, regardless of their circumstances, possesses inherent value and worth. Or as Abraham Kuyper writes, right, the image of God is the foundation of human rights as it acknowledges the intrinsic worth of every person regardless of their station in life. And so Christian, catch yourself when you begin to diminish others who like you, are, are made in the image of God, even if they are not like you. As you begin to diminish those who are, are like you, distorted image bearers, and, and thus like you, have a deep need for the redeeming and restoring work of Jesus. And finally, our, our, our hope rests 
and, and Jesus, who is the perfect image of the Father. And it is through our union with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us that, that the sin-stained, distorted image of God is, is, in all of us is actually being restored. The, the work is being done through that. In, in other words, the, the, the more we grow in grace and in Christ, the, the more accurately we reflect the image of God. You take that phone idea, it's, it's slowly seeing a cracks healing and restoring more and more, right? Which leaves, us with, leaves me with a few questions for you. And the, the first set is this. Do you really understand who you are in the image of God? Do, do you understand what you have been made for? You don't just randomly exist. You were made with a, a purpose, right? Uh, Sartre at the beginning talked about a paper knife. I mean, why? You, you were made with a purpose. Do you understand what you've been made for, who you are in Christ? And, and, and maybe you need to ask yourself those questions because you know deep down you're, you're not reflecting the glory of God particularly well right now in some area or some way. You're, you're, maybe you're loving sin more than you're loving God. Uh, two more questions and, and then we'll pray. The first is this. Do you understand that you were made by God and for God. That that's where you'll, you'll find purpose, which Jean-Paul Sartre, who I quoted at the start, never found. Did you really grasp that you were made to worship God, to know God, to reflect God, to be like God, to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? Do you know that? And that's where we're going to stop today. We will pick back up on this next week, and we'll see more of that that function. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, Genesis is a little weird. We're going into the creation of man and woman here. And, and then in chapter 2, there's a different angle that it takes on it. And so we'll, we'll get into that in more detail in some of these areas when we get there. But uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God Almighty, you crafted us in your image and you have granted us dominion over the earth's vast wonders. Please give us collective wisdom as, as, as we stewardship this, as we, we care for this amazing world, as we Lord, work in our hearts this week. Please bring about conviction when, when you see us making little of others. When, when we mentally want to rob others of their dignity. Father, help us, help us learn to see others, even in deep sin, even with awful ideas at times, Lord, to see them as also made in your image, to see them as someone who needs Christ, who needs restoration, to teach us to pray for people, not just be angry and frustrated at them. Teach us to have wisdom to, to know when that's, that's right. Uh, Lord, uh, we, we ask that you would grow us in our, our likeness, our likeness of you, that we would learn to obey your word. May our actions reflect to, to others and to our own hearts and to you uh, the love and the compassion that you have towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.